BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here with Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. It's about 11 o'clock in the morning here on the East Coast of the United States with the uh, country's attention focused on the decisions of the Supreme Court of the United States, some of which came down in the past hour and the remainder of which will come Thursday. We cannot lose sight of what continues to happen in Ukraine. And so we have today our go-to military expert, uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, who really needs no introduction to this audience. Colonel McGregor, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us here on Judging Freedom. Sure. So uh, a couple of events have occurred since we were last together. But before we zero in on them, can you give us your assessment from your observations and from your sources of how the conflict is going in Ukraine and how and when it is likely to end up? Well, the first uh, question is an easy one to answer. Uh, Ukraine has lost this war. I would argue it lost it some time ago. It's now becoming so apparent that even uh, the most ardent supporter of uh, Ukraine's war on Russia in London, Berlin, Paris, or the United States in Washington can't really stand up and say anything else. I suppose some will, but the truth is the war is over. The Ukrainians are losing on a daily basis somewhere between 500 and 1,000 dead and wounded. Uh, their army is effectively annihilated. They're throwing reservists, the equivalent of what we would call National Guardsmen, into the buzzsaw. And the Russians are very calmly, methodically annihilating whatever shows up. The Russians have already begun consolidating their control over 25 30% of Ukraine, where the Ukrainian forces were previously uh, paused to attack Russia. They now control uh, territory that is responsible for roughly 80% of uh, Ukraine's gross national product. So I expect that the Russians will hold on to this and incorporate it into Russia. It will be annexed. It was historically Russian. It is a game. Now, as far as how will this end? Well, we have a lot of people that seem to be determined that it will not end. And that is extremely dangerous because the longer this lasts, the greater the potential for this regional conflict to widen and engulf more countries and ultimately to drag us in, which some people think is the real goal, incomprehensible as that may seem. Is the United States still sending uh, cash and military equipment or have the $56 billion that the uh, Congress authorized plus some of the president's discretionary funds as recently as another billion. I don't know where he got it, but this is the type of discretion we give to the president of the United States. Uh, Has that all been spent? Has it all been delivered? Well, not all of it has been spent. Uh, Not all of it has yet been delivered, but most of it is, is effectively gone. And the thing that most Americans don't understand is that we are actually paying double 
or close to double uh, what we normally pay for equipment. Because remember, what happens is that we ship equipment and support and supplies to Ukraine, as well as cash, because we are effectively funding the Ukrainian government. If we stopped funding the Ukrainian government, everything would collapse. I'm sure Mr. Zelensky would climb into an airplane and fly to Miami, where he owns a mansion, and uh, essentially try to duck any responsibility for what's going on. But we continue to send hundreds of millions of dollars in hard cash over there that pays everyone. But the key thing is that the military equipment we send ends up costing us twice what it normally would. Why does why is that? Well, it's first of all we can't replace it right away. That's part of the problem. We have to replace it. In order to replace it, we have to pay more for what we're giving away. So we end up sending uh, enormous quantities of money in a direct transfer right to the Department of Defense. If you simply view this as part of the American defense budget, well, now you're you're approaching a trillion dollars uh, in, in ways that we never have before. We're spending so rec recklessly at this point. It, it's hard to know exactly how much we are investing, not just in the Department of Defense, but of course in our intelligence agencies. All right, so if we, if we give them a tank, and I'm just gonna throw out a round number, we give them a tank worth a million dollars, it's gonna cost us a million 250 to replace it. Is that the at, essence? At least, right? at least. Okay, okay. Have any of the people around the president, as far as you know, um, military, diplomatic, or intelligence, come to the same conclusions that you just articulated? Well, if there are, they're in deep hide, let's face it. Uh, <laughs> you know, you've got to keep in mind something, and this is what Americans don't understand. People say, well, how could we have reached these conclusions and done such a stupid thing, say, in, in, the, in the wake of 9-11 or any number of different instances in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and now with Ukraine. The point is there are always people in the intelligence system who provide sound analysis. It's just that their analysis is not wanted. So you have political leaders who essentially pick and choose from the intelligence estimates. The same thing is true on the military side with generals. There's an old expression. Je uh, presidents ultimately get the generals they want. Now, that can be positive. You know, look what Lincoln went through until he finally had U.S. Grant. That's a good example. Uh, FDR was a little more fortunate uh, early on with Marshall, but it was still a very tough fight for Marshall to build an army because FDR wanted to fight the whole war with the Air Force and the Navy. The, these things happen over time, and, and JFK ultimately got the generals he wanted, and they were the generals that led us into Vietnam. Everyone does this, and people forget that, that general officers don't emerge uh, okay. suddenly or surprisingly. No, he okay, agrees but, with but, us. But there must, be, there must be military intelligence and CIA that have come to the same conclusion you have, not that Ukraine is losing, but that Ukraine has lost. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that they Russia have. controls That Russia controls enough property, so it's 80% of the gross national product, which includes the ability to derive taxes for the government to stay alive. Right. Is somebody telling that to Joe Biden, and is he rejecting it? Or maybe you don't know this, because you're obviously not in the administration. Yeah. Is that advice not even making its way into the Oval Office? Uh, you know, I suspect that uh, our friend President Biden is a sort of a mushroom. They keep him in a dark place and, and <laughs> feed him crap. 
Uh, I think Susan Rice, uh, Jake Sullivan, Blinken, uh, oligarchs, frankly, rich, powerful figures that control the Democratic Party and, and, let's face it, large portions of the Republican Party who dominate Washington, they all have much more influence now than Americans realize. They're running the show. So I, I think he, they're not telling Joe Biden anything that they don't really want him to know. But more important, they're riding this, this train to oblivion and they're not going to get off, and they're throwing more coal into the locomotive with each passing day. In other words, they're, they're doubling down on failure in the belief that if they just hang on long enough, somehow or another, miraculously, they're going to win, and they're destroying NATO. They're tearing Europe apart. Europeans are finally beginning to wake up to the disaster. They've lost control of Eastern Europe. You have the Lithuanians who want to cut the Russians off from uh, East Prussia or this place called Kaliningrad, you have Russian retired officers now calling for Putin to commit nuclear weapons to the defense of Kaliningrad. Uh, at the same time, you have the Poles who continue to advocate for greater violence against Russia and, and greater support for the non-existent Ukrainian state. Because let's face it, Ukraine, Ukraine is now a failed state. It's collapsed. People are being pushed at gunpoint into, the, into Russian fire. This whole thing is a disaster. But no one wants to admit failure because they know once they admit failure, they lose all credibility. What could what could we or what could the United States have done to have uh, tempered or lessened uh, the bloodshed? Well, the very I'm first talking, thing, I'm talking about five or six months ago, Colonel. Yeah, well, of course. Obviously, we could have paid attention to what Mr. Putin was saying and had been saying for literally a decade I mean, this goes back to 2008 in Budapest and, and the Munich Security Conference, where he effectively said, we cannot accept what you're doing. We, we will not tolerate the presence of uh, NATO forces, particularly U.S. forces on our borders. We could have listened to that. We, there was always the opportunity to say, you know, the, we don't need Ukraine. We don't need to turn Ukraine into a platform for attack against Russia. We don't need it. It's unnecessary. And Russia... Whatever we don't like about it is not the Soviet Union. We refuse to do any of those things. We refuse to consider neutrality. And remember, we also intervened once the intervention began by Putin. And, and frankly, I disagree with people who say, oh, Putin's evil. He started this war. No, I, I think we started the war. He simply acted as he did because he thought he had no choice or he was going to end up with the equivalent of something like Pershing missiles in eastern Ukraine that would threaten and destroy Russia. So I, I think he did what he thought he had to do. But even after he did, he was always willing to negotiate. We kept intervening and telling uh, Zelensky and his friends, don't give an inch, we'll support you. And perhaps they, they thought, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised, I, they may well have thought that we were coming to their rescue. And at the time I said, they're in the same position the Poles were in 1939 when Churchill and the French said, oh, we'll stand by you, Poland. Well, that didn't do the Poles any damn good. Uh, and Poland emerged from the war, perhaps in the worst position of anybody. But the point is, we, we refused to consider anything that made sense. And right. no one looked at the region and said, this is a part of the world, Judge, where we don't want a war. This is more dangerous than anything else we've experienced in the last 75 years. All right, as recently, as recently as this morning, General Sir Patrick Sanders, Chief of the General Staff 
of the British military, I guess the rough equivalent to our chair, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said, we are the generation that will be preparing British soldiers for World War III. What do you make of that? What do you make of a public statement like that by the chief, the highest ranking military officer of Great Britain? Well, we need to understand something. The British system is very different from our system. Uh, you can still reach one or two stars in the British Army on the basis of demonstrated character, competence, and intelligence. Uh, that's impossible uh, in our system today. Everything is highly politicized. But the British will, will tell you quite openly, you don't get to three or four stars without being politically acceptable to the reigning political leadership or regime, whatever government that happens to be. My point is this. Sir Patrick Sanders would not say what he did unless he were told by Boris Johnson to say something like that. Mm. So this is not a. Well, then uh, is Boris Johnson a, a, a madman? Why, why <laughs> would he have? Why would he have his ch chief military <laughs> officer say something like that? Well, I, I don't want to be too harsh, but I I think it's reasonable to say that uh, Boris Johnson is a bloviating blowhard and a fool. And he was known for that for many decades. It's tragic that he ended up where he is. He's an opportunist. He's not the first one. I mean, I saw a lot of this kind of behavior from Tony Blair during the Kosovo air campaign. And then subsequently, when we went into Iraq, uh, he thought it was his opportunity to posture his Churchillian. Mm. I think Boris Johnson has simply taken that to the extreme. He thinks this is benefiting him politically. I, I think it's disastrous. I think he's going to face a no-confidence vote and be out on his ear within the next few months. I, I agree with you about Johnson, but let's look at the other side of the coin about what Sir Patrick said. If the real goal of Antony Blinken, the American Secretary of State, is to make it look like we were dragged reluctantly into a war so that we can knock off Putin and liberate Russia, I'm mouthing what I think he would say, might not Sir Patrick's uh, language have been part of that goal and that pattern? Stated differently, Sir Patrick wouldn't be where he is if he weren't part of the European globalists who have the same mindset as the American Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense. Agree or disagree? No, I think your, your point is valid. The question is, how far do we take it? Uh, and I think once you move to the edge of the abyss and we realize we're talking about waging high-end conventional warfare in Eastern Europe, uh, I think everyone in Europe would, would take a, a very quick step backward. Uh, they're not interested in that. Uh, Patrick uh, Sanders may also, in the back of his mind, think that the British Army can finally be funded uh, adequately. Remember, the United States Marine Corps is twice the size of the British Army. So you're not talking about a significant force. The British today are about as irrelevant to what happens on the continent as they were in 1880. Their army is very small, and it would have to be dramatically enlarged and fundamentally reorganized and re-equipped. So it's, it's more hot air than reality, which is, again, goes back to my point on Boris Johnson. He's hot air. He's not real. Now, that doesn't mean you're not right. <laughs> right. Perhaps Sullivan thinks in his mind, oh, this is a great way uh, sort of to move into the, into the fight. But then again, you've got Milley. You need to understand General Milley. 
General Milley knows we're in no position to fight anybody. This is the legacy force that emerged from the last 20 years of clubbing baby seals. We don't seem to understand. We haven't fought anybody who can fight back. We're not prepared. If I were to sketch for the, for the audience the logistical realities and what's going on in Central Europe right now, people would be horrified at the thought that we would even consider moving a 50 miles into Ukraine. It's, it's crazy. And then finally, there is always the nuclear dimension. Once you move towards the Russian border, uh, there is no guarantee that we will not face a nuclear confrontation. Well, this is a terrible state of affairs if the president of the United States doesn't understand what you're saying. And if the people around him, you mentioned Sullivan, you mean Jake Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, forgive me, I don't know his real first name. Jake Sullivan, yeah. Mrs. Uh, Clinton's chief advisor on national security. Now the national security advisor to the president of the United States. He has the highest security clearance. If these people are keeping the McGregor analysis from the president, it's almost criminal because well, this, they, could res- yeah. this could result in, in death, more deaths of more innocents, and some of them might be Americans. Uh, Judge uh, Franklin Roosevelt was told in no uncertain terms by the chief of naval operations and the commander-in-chief of the Navy in the Pacific that if he embarked on the embargo against Japan, they would bomb Pearl Harbor. The probability that Japan would attack us was very high. What happened? Right. So we're dealing with something very similar right now. In fact, I was thinking about this this morning. Oliver Cromwell, who's one of my favorite people, brilliant man who saved Great Britain from total anarchy, stood up in British Parliament and, and finally said to the king, you know, for all the good that you've done and for as long as you've sat here and whatever you've promised, you need to go. You've, you're a disaster. You must leave to save England. And I think we're reaching the point where someone's going to have to stand up and say, to save the United States, Mr. Biden, you and the people around you must go. That's the only solution I can think of right now. Let me um, uh, switch to another issue, uh, but related to this. Um, American soldiers of fortune, uh, American uh, veterans uh, fighting on the ground, two of them in, in Ukraine, two of them been captured by the Russians, allegedly uh, beaten and made to uh, give confessions. So the Kremlin says they're not protected by the Geneva Convention. They're going to be tried as terrorists, which means they'll be convicted and executed. Are you surprised at this and is this a, a, just a bloviating threat, or will it happen? No, I think the Russians are very serious. Remember, <clears throat> every effort that they made, a good faith effort in their minds, to put an end to this war, to negotiate an end to it, has been spurned by us. We have supplied our proxy in Ukraine with weapons and, and support on a scale that you know we did not provide to the French or the British for a very long time during World War II. Mm. Uh, if, if you're looking at this from the standpoint of the Russian, you say, first of all, the Americans are not only supporting our existential enemies, now they're, they're actually allowing uh, s- former soldiers to show up and fight with the Ukrainians. Now, we can say these people volunteered and, and they're at their own risk, but the Russians are going to look at this and say, this is no accident. The Americans could stop this if they wanted to. 
So now the problem is, if you're sitting in the White House, how do you how do you approach the Russians, either privately or publicly, on the issue? It's very difficult. So no, I think I think it's very serious, and I think the worst could happen. General Douglas McGregor, no matter what we talk about, it's it's eye opening and it's refresh refreshing to hear the truth. Thank you for joining us. Okay, thank you, Judge. Of course, Judge Napolitano for judging freedom.